Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. If we have not met, my name is Matthew Conrad. Uh, our family has served in Asia for the last 12 years. The Lord's transitioning us to work uh, sometimes in Asia, but most of the time in the Middle East. And uh, so uh, if we've not had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you after the, after the service. Uh, but today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 19 for our message today. And uh, before we begin, let me open the message in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Uh, thank you we don't have to guess who you are or what you're like or what you expect of us. Uh, you've written it down, and uh, we can read it, we can study it, we can memorize it, we can ponder it. This morning, as we look at your word, Lord, I pray that you'd uh, open our eyes, open our ears to hear what your spirit says to us. And uh, Lord, help us not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers also. In Jesus' name, amen. I like success. I like reaching a goal. I like winning the basketball game. I like getting a trophy, although they're plastic. But I like reaching the summit of a mountain. I like graduating with academic degrees. I like getting a good job. I like getting a raise in ministry. I like seeing people come to Christ. I like seeing young believers grow in the Lord. I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. I like seeing church pl churches planted, seeing pastors trained. I like seeing fruit from my labor. And so did the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul is beginning his third missionary journey. And he comes to a city called Ephesus. Now, he'd been there before. At the end of his second missionary journey, if you look back in Acts chapter 18, and verse 19, it says, And he came to Ephesus. This is at the end of his second missionary journey. And he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, and I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. So he was just there, basically one weekend. Talked a little bit, but he had to move on. He had, he had things to do in Jerusalem that he had promised to do. But he promised, I will be back. And now as he starts the third missionary journey, if you have those handy maps in the back of your Bible, you can look at all those little red and yellow and green lines going different places. But you see, he makes kind of a beeline for Ephesus. He does go through on his way there. He stops at other churches that he's planted in, uh, in other parts of Turkey. He stops in uh, areas of, of Galatia, um, uh, Derby, Lystra. Um, Iconium of Pisidia, that, that area there. And there he also got reminded of, of the, the fruit the Lord had, had borne through early missionary, earlier missionary journeys as he visited churches and built up the, 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 the believers and the faith there. But he was on his way to new territory, going to the western part of modern-day Turkey. In the Bible, it uses the Roman term. It calls it Asia. But this is not the Asia as in like China kind of Asia. There was the Roman province of Asia, which is western uh, modern-day Western Turkey. And so he goes to, as his, his pattern was, he goes to that key city, Ephesus, the, the, one of the most uh, prominent cities in that region, and he keeps his promise. Now, while he's been gone, some things have been going on. First of all, his first time on the second missionary journey, when he stopped by, um, stopped by Ephesus, he had with him two people, a couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And while Paul had to move on, Aquila and Priscilla stayed at Ephesus. And while he was gone, there was a guy named Apollos. If you look at Acts chapter 18, verse 20, uh, 24 and following there, this guy Apollos shows up, and this guy is zealous for the Lord. He is excited, and he's really good at communicating. 
He's eloquent. And he gets up there and, and preaches in the synagogue. And Aquila and Priscilla listen to him and they think, hmm, something, something's a little different here. This guy's teaching something it's true, but he's missing something very important. You see, Apollos, he had only heard of the teaching that Jesus was coming through John the Baptist. Uh, he Either he had been in Judea during John the Baptist's ministry or someone had told him about it, but he was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. But he had missed the part where the Messiah had come. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they took him by the side and said, hey, what you're teaching is great, but um, you're missing. The, the one that John the Baptist was saying would come, he came. That's Jesus. He came, lived a perfect life, then he died on the cross, a punishment for our sins. But three days later, he rose again. Apollos listened. He had been willing to accept what John the Baptist preached, and now he heard what Aquila and Priscilla told him, and he says, wow, that's amazing. He believed that and immediately got up and started preaching. But Aquila and Priscilla encouraged him to go on to Achaia, which was over in Greece, the southern part of Greece, over to the seat of Corinth, where there was a, where there was a church. And there he greatly encouraged the, the brothers there. And if you look at the end in verse 28, for he vigorously refuted the Jews, publicly showing them from the Scripture that Jesus is the Christ. And now Paul comes back to Ephesus. Apollos is no longer there. Aquila and Priscilla are probably still there. But really, no church had begun. No work had begun in Ephesus, really. But here we're going to see Paul and his ministry at Ephesus, probably the most fruitful church plant of his entire ministry. The greatest impact he had on any region where he had been. How did the success come? What did Paul do to see such astounding results? Well, let's look at this passage, Acts chapter 19. And as we begin, we see right away that God is preparing the way. Even before Paul gets there. You got this guy, Apollos, a disciple of John. Will and Priscilla lead him to the Lord, but then he moves on. Now he comes to the synagogue, and just as he promised, he's there preaching the gospel. That Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that God had promised since the beginning of time. Since, uh, since uh, man and woman sinned in the garden. God promised he would send a savior who would crush the serpent's, serpent's head. He would defeat the devil. Many prophets prophesied of him. And these Jewish people in the synagogue, they heard what Paul was saying. And you know what? It seemed like there was a lot of people who had heard about John the Baptist. Word had gotten out about John the Baptist, and there were 12 men here that, that had already believed that, wow, the Messiah is coming. And just like Apollos, Paul had the opportunity of letting them know, hey, one more thing has happened. That Messiah that John preached is here. Believe on him. Look at Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. They had missed the whole Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes down, the church age begins. Here they are following the Lord the best they know how with the revelation they had to that point. I hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked them, verse 3, he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So then they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. 
And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They heard that. They believed. They were baptized. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So it kind of happened. What we have here is a mini Pentecost. These folks, Jewish believers, had not yet heard of Christ. Had not yet heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Did not know what happened at Pentecost. But as soon as Paul told them, they immediately believed in Jesus. They were baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke in tongues. Now sometimes we get a little confused about this whole speaking in tongues thing. Um, it gets a lot of press these days, especially in, in, in certain churches. Um, but actually, speaking in tongues only is recorded in three passages in the book of Acts. You would think it would be more, but actually it's only three passages. We see it in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes uh, to indwell people for the first time. Not only were they indwelled, but they were temporarily filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, they were empowered to, uh, to, to preach the word to, to many people that were there, Jews and Gentiles, mostly Jews or, or proselyte Gentiles who were there for the Feast of Pentecost. They heard the gospel and they spoke in tongues. The, the, the believers there, especially the disciples, Peter, the chief among them, he speaks in tongues. And the people who had lived in other places did not know Hebrew. They could hear the preaching in their own languages as different apostles got up and spoke. And so these tongues were actual languages that people could understand. They had a chance to hear the gospel, and many believed. And the Jews saw this and said, wow, that is a sign. Peter, he talks, explains what's going on in Acts chapter 2, and he points back to a prophecy in the book of Joel. Talks about the end times. That the Holy Spirit would come, they'd be filled. It happens at Pentecost there, and it's a sign to the Jews that this is a work of God, confirming the new revelation that they were hearing through the apostles about Jesus Christ. We see it again in the Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, an important event happens. The first Gentile believer comes to Christ, a guy named Cornelius, a Roman soldier. He, he believes the gospel, and when that happens... They speak in tongues. Why does that happen? To show to the Jews that were, there, that were nearby that this was a work of God, that the Gentiles too can come to Christ. They can come to faith just like the Jews can. And they had this sign to confirm that this new revelation was true. Now here we have the third time, Acts chapter 19. And we have these isolated Jewish believers, not aware of what happened at Pentecost, not aware of what happened in Acts chapter 2 or 10. Here they hear the gospel. They get saved, and as a sign to them, they speak in tongues. And they see this truly is a work of God. God had prepared the way. The Apostle Paul immediately was seeing response to the gospel, immediately seeing uh, success. Twelve men as the foundation of the church there in, in Ephesus. And what had Paul done? He had been faithful. He had gone to the place he had promised to go to. He had preached God's word, and God worked. God had prepared the way. He had prepared the way for Apollos. He prepared the way for these 12 men here. Paul just got up there, spoke the truth. And the people believed. It doesn't always happen that way, but I, I'm always happy when it does. I remember this summer when we were in Hong Kong, had a chance to lead a young man named Gabriel to the Lord. I think last time I preached here, I talked about him, so I'm not going to go back on that story. But there was a young man totally prepared. I saw him once 
uh, before he believed. I mean, the, the first time I saw him, that was the time he believed in Christ as a Savior. He came to church, heard me preach the gospel. Afterwards, I talked to him. I asked him, have you put your faith, uh, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, asked him, if, do you know for sure if you die today, you go to heaven? He said, yes. I said, what do you base that on? He said, I, I believe in Jesus and I'm doing the best I can. He's basing it on faith plus works. He was not saved. He did not know the truth of the Bible that says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But he heard that truth. That was what he was missing. He had heard, he knew about Jesus. He knew the stories in the Bible. He knew Jesus died on the cross for, uh, for the sins of the world. He knew that Christ rose again. But he did not know that salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But as soon as he heard it, he said, what, is that what the Bible says? That's what I want to do. Why did he get saved? Because I'm really good at preaching? No, he got saved because God had prepared his heart. God had prepared the way. He had brought other people in his life before, before I had a chance to meet him. But on the day that he was there, the last piece that he needed, he heard from me. And I had the chance to lead him to Christ. That's what's happening here with the Apostle Paul. God is working in people's heart. And immediately, they hear the truth. And they're believing. God had prepared the way. Think about it in your own life, your own salvation testimony. How did God prepare the way for you to come to Him? The Bible says that no man seeks after God. We know that God is seeking after us. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. God reaches out. He brings, He calls us through the gospel. Most of us, the first time we heard the gospel, we didn't immediately believe. Usually there were different people, different times. God used different circumstances, little by little, to help us understand, like, wow, there is a God. Wow, I am a sinner. I'm in trouble. Oh, I do need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. And little by little, we put these things together. We begin to understand God works in our hearts. And then we're saved as we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. God prepares the way. Think of your life beyond your salvation. You can see God's hand at work preparing the way, providing schooling, providing a job, providing opportunities. You look at your families. You see how God has worked, not just in your life, your wife's life, but in your, your, your children's lives. And God has provided for them. God is a loving, caring God. Preparing the way for us. And sometimes we see these things and we, we, able to, we, we, we see success in our lives. And we think, wow, I, you know, I've got a good job. I'm making good money. I've got a nice house. Look at my family. This is, this, this is, the, 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 I, I'm proud of, of the, the, the people there. My children are becoming. And we can start to feel a little bit prideful. God does want us to be good stewards of the opportunities he gives us. And Proverbs talks, about, uh, talks often about um, being, being wise, not foolish. What God has given us. And there are definite benefits of, of doing, uh, being faithful with, with what God has given you. But ultimately, any success we have comes from God. He's the one that provides. He's the one that prepares the way. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul talks about this. Interestingly, 1 Corinthians was written while Paul was at Ephesus. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast 
as though you had not received it. Whenever we see success, that success comes from God. He is working. First of all, God prepares the way. The Apostle Paul, we see here, God had prepared the way. He came there and these people were, were, were ready to hear the gospel. God had prepared the way. But not only that, God, this was just the beginning. These 12 men were just the beginning of what God was going to do at Ephesus. And it wasn't going to stay in just Ephesus. It was going to spread throughout the region. God not only prepared the way, but God, God guided their planning. Look at verses 8 to 10. Paul is doing what he normally did in Ephesus. He goes to the synagogue, meets with the Jews, the people most likely to be prepared by God. They had already had the Old Testament. Uh, if they were truly devout and following God, they would be very interested in hearing uh, about the new revelation that God had given in Jesus Christ. And so we see in verse 8, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. So he's preaching for three months there in the synagogue. Every Saturday, That's his pattern. But then the pattern changes. Or maybe it doesn't. Because it's very interesting. In most of the places the apostle Paul went, in the first missionary journey, the second missionary journey, if you notice, he never stayed anywhere very long. Why was that? I don't think it was his plan just to be there a couple of weeks and then get kicked out of town. But persecution would come hard and fast. Uh, one time, even in the first uh, missionary journey, he was dragged out of town, stoned. It's a sure sign that you should probably go to a different town. And he did. So he would start, lay the seed, lead some people to Christ, and then he'd be run out of town, and that church would have to, uh, they, they, they'd, they'd get going on their own. This really wasn't Paul's plan, but this is what happened. But here in Ephesus, we get a chance to see what Paul's plan looks like when he's not kicked out of town, when he's not facing severe persecution. And what he did next is very interesting. A lot of times in missions, when we go and church plant, the idea is you go, you're the pastor of the church, you plant the church, and that's, this is what we did in, in Hong Kong. We were involved in two church plants. We use this model. It's kind of like a pastoral church planting model. Uh, the, the church planter is the pastor, and he's out there evangelizing, discipling, teaching people to evangelize and disciple, and hopefully raising up leaders, and is there for a long time in that one church. But here we see another pattern that Paul is using here. And let's take a look at what he does. Verse 9, but when some were hardened and did not believe, so it's not all success. Some people believed. He preached for three, three, three months in the synagogue. But some did not believe, but they spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So what does he do now? They don't kick him out of town, but he's not really welcome in the synagogue, so... Uh, he stays around and he starts teaching in the school of Tyrannus. Now, he's not teaching some, this is not like a job he's gotten to, uh, to pay his way there. No, this is, this is, he's teaching the word of God to those who, to, who, who would be the leaders of the church. For two years in this school, he's spending every day with the leaders, uh, the, maybe these 12 men, that was the beginning, the, the first 12 who got, got saved there. And he's training them in the Word of God, laying a good foundation. And what ha starts to happen here is he, not only is he re reproducing disciples, we see that in verse, verse 9, some of them are believed. Verse 26, we see quite a few people 
now are believing. In fact, we'll get there in a moment there. But the disciples are multiplying in Ephesus. Now we see leaders are multiplying. In fact, if you skip over to Acts chapter 20, there's a whole big group of leaders. When Paul comes by that area again, that come out to meet him and Paul gives them more training. He's focusing on these men. And what's the result? Verse 10. This continued for two years. So two years, he's daily teaching these leaders in the school of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Wait a minute. How did, how did all the people who dwelt in Asia, remind, remember, this is not China and Japan, Asia. This is Western Turkey. But it's a big area. How did they all hear both Jews and Greeks. Paul didn't go anywhere. He's daily in the school of Tyrannus. He's training leaders. And then what's happening next? Those leaders who he trained, they're going and they're planting churches in the region. If I, if I had PowerPoint here, I'd show you what happens. But, but Ephesus becomes the, the church planting center of that region. Anybody ever heard of a church in Colossae? <laughs> Paul wrote a book today, right? Did Paul ever go to Colossae? No, he did not. Paul trained a guy named Epaphras who was from Colossae. He probably received his training during these two years at the school of Tyrannus as Paul was teaching. And then Epaphras went back to Colossae. He planted a church there. And then in nearby cities, if you read the end of the book of Colossians, you'll see there's a church in Hierapolis, which is nearby, and a church in uh, Laodicea, which is nearby. They're supposed to share the book of Colossians and read it in all three of those churches. How did those churches get there? Paul didn't go to Laodicea. He didn't go to, didn't go to Hierapolis. He trained men, and then they went and planted churches. He didn't just do an addition model where he went, just planted, the, uh, just passed the church in Ephesus. No, he went to train men, and then they went out, multiplying Paul's work across the region. In fact, when you come to the book of Revelation, there's letters to seven churches. What's the first church in that, in, uh, that receives a letter in Revelation 2 and 3? Do you remember? Ephesus. And then you got six other. One of them is Laodicea. But the, if, if you look at what happened in that, during that time period, the church work, the church planning work exploded across the region. Paul had great success, but he didn't go and plant those churches. No, he trained men who went and taught others also. Kind of like what he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, the things you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So in Ephesus, the disciples multiplied, the leaders multiplied, and then in that region, the churches multiplied. When Paul had a chance to actually develop a plan and stay in a place and not get kicked out because of persecution, this is what he did. It wasn't all about him. No, it was about training faithful men who would go and spread the work in places where he wouldn't have the time and ability to go he couldn't be in all those places, but the men he trained could be. And that's kind of what we've been doing in, in China through the Panda Project. That's what we're doing now through National Theological College and Graduate School in the Middle East, in Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, and Uganda. Training faithful men. That's what Paul, Paul sees success here in Ephesus, a success that spills out over. I love what it says there in verse 10. This continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word. They didn't all believe, but they all heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. How did this happen? First of all, God prepared the way. And secondly, 
God guided their planning. But was everything everything smooth after that? No. Thirdly, we see in verse 11 and following, God overcame the obstacle. Because when there is a work of God, there will always be obstacles. We think, we think of success. Success means no trouble. No, no, no. Success doesn't mean no trouble. In fact, if you're having success, there's going to be resistance. Uh, we, we can't just wait for everything to be smooth. We can't wait for everyone to be unanimous. That's not how it works. There are obstacles. There are difficulties. But God is the one who can overcome these hurdles and these difficulties. There are interruptions here at Ephesus among the success, the fruit that they were seeing. We see people trying to copy them, counterfeit attempts. We see people trying to oppose them, counteracting attempts. First of all, these counterfeiting attempts. So look at verse, uh, verse 11. Now Paul worked unusual miracles. So in the book of Acts, we do see miracles. This is a transition period. The miracles, like the gift of tongues, would confirm that the new revelation that they were, that they were receiving during this time period was, in fact, je- definitely from God. Now we're not in one of those transition periods. We have the complete word of God, so we don't see those miracles confirming. Uh, we, if you want to know what God says, open the Bible, read it. But back then, this is a transition period. And even for that transition period, this is unique. It says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out from them. Yet that's unusual. I'd like a little more details, but that's all it says. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that worked, but this was, once again, clearly a work of God. Only God can heal people in this, in this manner. But then, verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Now, today, we, we kind of look at this and go, evil spirits? People, we, we read the, the Gospels, the book of Acts, talks about people being, in, being possessed by demons, and you think, I've never seen that before. Is that something that really happens? Are they just confused? Is that just like, you know, maybe somebody had a seizure? Maybe it's a medical problem. And there were seizures and medical problems back then, too. <laughs> uh, not all seizures and medical problems are demon possession. <laughs> there are medical problems that, that cause those things. That's not at all demon possession. But in this case, it was actually demons inhabiting people and in places that are dark that have not had the light of the gospel for for generations um, there are still accounts today of demon possessions i know i've been in rural places in 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 china where where people have talked about it and described it and this is there's a lot more witchcraft and things like that going on um, i don't know how to explain it but it seems very similar to some of the accounts we see in scripture but nobody was questioning it here in the book of acts in the first century they said that Someone was possessed by a demon and, well, they had these Jewish guys who thought it was their job to kick the demons out. And they heard about Paul and how he was doing it. And so they went out and, and this is almost a little comical, but it says, what do they do here? They found this guy with the evil spirit and they said, we exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish priest who did so. So they're copying, they're copycats. Hey, God's at work. We see something that looks pretty cool. Let's just copy that. It wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. They just want some popularity. And look what the evil spirit says to them. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. 
Well, this got out. This made the news. Uh, People heard about that. And what was the result? Verse 17. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Only Jesus has the power over darkness. Only Jesus, his power, can defeat the devil and those influenced by him. The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Not Paul. Here was Paul. He was doing a work. God was using him. It was unusual miracles. Unusual success here in Ephesus. They were affecting the entire region. But who was magnified? The name of the Lord Jesus. God prepared the way. God guided their planning. God overcame these obstacles. And what happened? God was magnified. But not just that. Look at verse 18 and 19. Now you have these guys. It's apparently not only was there demon possession, but there was a lot of people involved with the occult. I'm pretty sure there might have been a connection between those two. But they were doing magic. Look at verse 18 and 19. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. So they believed in Jesus. They confessed that what they had been involved with before was wrong. And they were involved with witchcraft. Also, many of them who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. These guys, they got saved, realized that what I was doing before was wrong, and they got rid of those books that were involving the occult. They didn't sell them to make some money. I don't need them anymore, but I'll make some money on these. No, no, no. This this is bad stuff. We're going to burn it. Get rid of it. We don't want other people to be deceived like we were deceived. And when people saw that, people cared more about their belief in Christ than they did about making money on those expensive books about the occult. The result was verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. God was overcoming the obstacles. In fact, if there weren't those obstacles... The power of God would not have been seen so greatly. But God was overcoming those obstacles. People were coming to Christ as they saw that God truly is real. He is more powerful than than the demons that they had been involved with before, the magic they had been involved with before. They were looking for for a God who, who was real and genuine. And here they were seeing God at work. And so Paul saw great success here. Many, many people coming to Christ. People So much so that they were being copied. But this success led to another difficulty. And this was more direct. If you take a look at verse 23, it says there was about that time there was a commotion about the way. The way was another way to describe Christianity then. Uh, I believe it's another. The Gentiles probably called them this. There was a commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. That means he was making a lot of money. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation, and he said this, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. 
So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling in disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. So here's this guy, Demetrius. He's in the idol-making business. He makes them with silver. And idol sales are down. And maybe he put up a graph there. Like This is, this is when Paul showed up. And uh, this is when those 12 guys got saved. And this is when those, those crazy guys with the demons were running around without clothes. This is where, this is where they were burning those, those magic books. And look, our sales are going down with that. And not just in Ephesus, the entire region. That's some impact. Even the unsaved people were seeing. The economy was being affected. And so what did they do? They stirred up a riot. That's opposition. There was success, but there was also difficulty. They filled an entire arena full of rioting people, yelling, great is Diana of the Ephesians. It was a mess. And because of that, if you read, if we, we, don't, we don't have time this morning, you can read, read towards the end there. Paul wanted to go into the middle of the riot and try to calm him down, and his friend said, bad idea and so he didn't go in there and good thing he took the advice but after that it was time for paul to move on but in this time over two years probably close to three years there in ephesus god gave him an open door of opportunity god prepared the way from the very beginning god guided their planning their strategy there as he trained men daily in the school of tyrannus and then they went out to surrounding cities and planted churches and led people to Christ, and discipled these new believers. Obstacles came, but God showed himself strong, overcoming those obstacles. Success, all success comes from God. And when we see success in our lives, whether it be in ministry and other, other aspects of our life, we can see God's hand involved there in this passage the very center of this passage it focuses on jesus christ god god was at work and so what happened the result was the name of the lord jesus christ was magnified god was at work and what happened the word of the lord grew mightily and prevailed this passage here also emphasizes the name of the lord jesus christ we see that in verse 5 verse 13 verse 17 he is being magnified not the apostle paul He is the one doing the work. Paul was just the instrument. The same is true of us today. The same God that worked through Paul at Ephesus. The same God we serve here in Elk Ridge. Now, everywhere Paul went, he did not see the same success. But here, we get a a window at what it looks like when a work is very, very fruitful. And God is clearly and obviously doing a work. And what we see very clearly is when that happens, that's God. Yes, God's looking for faithful people, people like you and me, people like the Apostle Paul, people like the ones he trained who went, because it wasn't just Paul who was seeing fruit. They were seeing fruit in Laodicea and Hierapolis and Colossae and and, uh, the surrounding cities. This was God at work through faithful, humble servants. And the result was the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. While he was there and seeing this success, Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, and this is what he writes. Talking about the work at Corinth, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he that waters, but God who gives the increase. 
Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. So, so our work, it, it is important. We must be faithful with the opportunities God gives to us. But ultimately, any success that we see comes from God. And if we want to see fruit, and if we want to see God using us and working in us and through us, we must look to Him. And when He does bring fruit, we must give Him the glory. The name of the Lord Jesus must be magnified. His word must grow and prevail. Not too many missionaries end up with their face on money. But Mary Slessor of Scotland is one missionary that did. You can look it up online, find Mary Slessor, Scottish Bill, and there's her face right on the money. But that's not normal. In fact, most of her life, nobody knew who in the world she was. She was a little-known, obscure missionary, a single lady who came from a poor background in Scotland. She worked for decades and thought, hey, nothing's happening here. I'm not seeing great success. I'm not seeing fruit. But she plotted away. Her ministry at first involved a whole lot of child care and a whole lot of care for, uh, for, for destitute women who had been thrown out of their homes or abused. Her house was full of women and children. She spent her time feeding babies and beating back the jungle that kept trying to take over her entire house. She'd write back to her supporters and she said, this is one particular letter she'd write, there's not much progress to report. Christ sent me to preach the gospel and he will look after the results. And so she served and preached and taught as God gave opportunities. And after nearly five decades, things began to really change. God used her to uh, not only lead people to Christ, but churches nearby began to be planted as a result of, of, of a lot of her work and her co-workers' work there. She was, became a, actually a regional judge that helped to um, bring peace in a very violent, violent region of Nigeria, Africa. And as people began noticing her, this is what she wrote. It isn't Mary Slessor who does anything, but something outside her altogether uses her as her small ability allows. In another letter she wrote, if I've done anything in my life, it's been easy because the master has gone before. Other people began praising her, and eventually, although I think it was after she, was, after she passed away, her face ended up on, on money in Scotland. But this is what she said when people praised her. What would I do with any starry crowns except to cast them at his feet? God calls us to be faithful. We should seek to be fruitful, but that fruit only comes from God. And when we begin seeing results, God is the one who must get the glory. We often live like the increase depends upon us. We pray as a duty rather than a necessity. We fret when our methods we employ do not produce the results that we expect. The results we seek can become idols. But let us, like Mary Slessor, seize the promises of God and say, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, and He will look after the results. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your gospel. Thank you that it does change lives. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
For it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek. Lord, we know that we are sinners. We don't deserve. We don't deserve to know you. We don't deserve heaven. We've broken your law. We've gone our, gone our own way. Lord, thank you for your grace and the gift of salvation. Thank you for Jesus who took our place, took our punishment on the cross, then conquered death by rising from the dead. Lord, thank you for this gospel message and the free gift of salvation. Lord, thank you also that we have the privilege of being laborers together with you. Lord, we know that we are, we are your servants. Help us to be faithful. Lord, we want to see fruit. We want to reach more people with the gospel. We want to see you do a great work like we see here in the church at Ephesus. Lord, we know that only you can do this work. Help us to look to you. Lord, give us more fervency in our prayers. Give us more tenacity in serving you. Lord, I pray that we'd see you work in ways we never expected. In Jesus' name.